There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Tuesday, April 26th. Inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Learn how Steamfitters can benefit your business at steamfitters-602.org. Here are the stories we're working on today. All eyes of school districts across the nation are on the case of Thomas Jefferson High School in Alexandria and its admissions process. The Supreme Court ordered that TJ keep its current admission policy while its legal challenges are battled out in court, but WTOP's Mike Marillo says not everybody's happy about it. The stakes are high because this is a highly sought-after school. And COVID numbers are dropping in D.C. And while the virus may be waning, the societal changes that it ushered in may be sticking around. We talked to a city planner about how streeteries are changing the landscape of where we live. The public has started to understand that perhaps the experience of the open space in those streeteries is more important than having to park right in front doors. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology is embroiled in a legal battle over who gets in and how. Both sides are saying they're protecting applicants from race discrimination. The fight has made its way up the Virginia judicial system in the last two years. The Supreme Court weighed in yesterday, saying the prestigious high school can continue to use the new admissions process while it's battled out in court. This came after a lower court blocked the policy. It's a long story and it's confusing, but good thing WTOP's Mike Morello is here to break it down for us. Mike, the legal trial of this TJ admission policy is long. But before we can get to that, can you remind us what actually changed in how TJ selected students back in 2020? Yeah, let's get right into that. So essentially, back in 2020, we had that discussion about having a more diverse student body, right? So then we had the Fairfax County School Board and school system come up with a plan to do that. And some of the things they did were to get rid of a standardized test, essentially, that kids have to take an admissions test. So that was one thing that went away. They also did away with a $100 uh, application fee, which, you know, it's $100, but there were some people saying that that is a a hurdle for some families. So that was done away with. Mm -hmm. And then you had an equal amount of seats made available to middle schools throughout the county. So that's a big change because before it was all about that test, right? You had to come in, you had to do the best on that test. And parents would spend a lot of money to make sure their kids have the tutors and stuff to make sure they are ready for this school. So when they heard this news, all the ones who were preparing their children for this school, in their minds, they're saying that, you know, it's not an even playing field of the kids who come in because there's no longer a standardized test to uh, make sure that you have this, uh, I guess, kids on the same level is their argument. Right. And I also remember that um, they were saying the changes to the admissions process was aimed at Asian-American students. So you had the judge saying it was unconstitutional that it did target students that were Asian-American because of how the changes were made. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the school board saying that's not the case. It's race blind. They don't have race quotas or anything like that. So they argue that that wasn't the case. But this judge disagreed. But then we get to the point of an appeal. Fairfax County School Board said we're appealing this first judge's decision that says we're wrong. And the appeals court said, we want you to hear the case, but we're not going to stop the new admission process from kicking in. So that means the school system can move on 
as normal as the court awaits the case. Mm -hmm. And then that gets us to the Supreme Court decision, right? The opponents here went to the Supreme Court saying, we need you to step in, do an emergency order that says, put the brakes on this admission process until it moves through the courts. And the Supreme Court essentially said, we're not getting involved right now. We're going to let the case work its way through the lower courts and see where it goes from there. And so what have teachers and parents been doing all this while? I mean, that was a fantastic synopsis you just kind of gave us. But I'm sure teachers and parents were kind of caught in the middle and really trying to figure out what to do. They're really stuck right now for the ones who are against it. The school system, on the other hand, says, you know, it's thankful that the Supreme Court made this decision because it would have been a real impact for them if they had to go back to the old way of doing things after they've already told all these students of the class of 2025 and and working on 2026, you know, we're changing the rules again, so you might not be accepted. We're talking to WTOP's Mike Morello about this legal battle over admissions at Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology in Alexandria. And we're talking about it right ahead of decision day. So a lot of parents are dealing with these big, big choices that their kids are making as far as high schools and colleges. So, Mike, you know, what's at stake here? This is one of the most elite high schools in our area and even in the country. A bit of a golden ticket, you know, as a high school student going to a good high school and getting a good education can get you into a good college, which, again, can lead to a great career. So in your conversations with students and parents, what do they have to say about that? You know, I think that's it. The stakes are high because this is a highly sought after school and you have all these parents and students, you know, hoping to get into this school because that puts you in to the running for a lot of great universities. But I think the other big thing about this case, too, is there are a lot of eyes on it, right? This isn't the only prestigious school like this in the nation. Exactly. So you have schools not only here, but across the entire nation watching to see how this plays out. Because let's go back real quick to 2020. What was happening then? The George Floyd protests. That's really what sparked a lot of this. So this whole trying to get a more diverse student body was what you know sparked this thing. And now we have this fight going on. But there are implications for this no matter how it turns out, right? A lot of people will make decisions based off of how this turns out. Well, Mike, thanks for keeping us up to date on it. And we'll keep watching it. All right. Thank you, guys. And will Streeteries live on past the pandemic? We'll talk about it after the break. If you want to save money and grow profits on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project, go with the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. You can trust the experience of its workforce, members who have expertise in heating, air conditioning, refrigeration, and process piping to deliver work that's on time and on budget. For a partner you can trust who's mutually focused on your bottom line and to schedule, contact Steamfitters Local 602 at steamfitters-602.org. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602. Changing lives. It's fair to say COVID won't be completely gone, maybe ever, but after years of surging variants changing the way we live, we're seeing cases level off in our region and even decrease. Hospitalizations have largely remained steady and deaths keep declining, marking a new phase of COVID. And while life is returning to somewhat normal as we've made it through this BA2 surge, there are some pandemic policies that are sticking around, like Streeteries. We now turn to WTOP's Valerie Bonk to talk about the six-month extension of Streeteries in Annapolis. So, Valerie, while the Annapolis City Council voted unanimously to extend Streeteries for another six months, there was a lengthy debate over the issue last night. What did council members have to say And what led them to this consensus? So their big concern was about the parking and taking up these parking lots with more furniture and outdoor dining that takes up all these parking spots downtown. But 
some people on the council thought that that might not be a negative thing because they were going back and forth about that, saying, you know, well, maybe that pushes them to other wards. I want to know what to expect from that fallout. In early April, the state of emergency was lifted, so that lifted the streeteries as well. So they swept right in, and the council did 60 days, and then last night approved it for another six months. R-22-22 has passed. We've got six months. Let's get to work. And so it's a pilot program to study for another six months. So they're really looking at what the rules are going to be for outdoor dining going forward. And when you say this study, I mean, they're basically studying how people's, what their habit, their dining habits have changed over the pandemic. You touched on this, but this could be a good thing because instead of going to downtown Annapolis, maybe they're going to Edgewater. Maybe they're going, you know, Crofton or the areas around there. I mean, they're, they're helping out those businesses, too. Yes. So they're thinking this might not be a negative thing, but they really need to look at the numbers and see what's happening. And, and the ultimate goal is to do this study and then come up with the regulations that will be for the businesses. Would it be no outdoor eating at all? I don't think so. But, um, you know, that's definitely on the table, as well as hard regulations and fees for businesses. They did talk about that a little bit. Um, That's to be determined as to whether they'll have to pay for this and how much that'll be going forward. I think during the pandemic, streeteries were kind of this positive thing that came out of it. People loved walking around. You know, there's more space, more outdoor space. Is there any chance that after the study happens, you know, these streeteries will just stay and it'll become a permanent kind of fixture of this urban setting in Annapolis? I think some people hope that. And um, I think the council members, there were a couple of them who said that some residents were getting upset by this. And I think it was more of an upset, you know, that this was an in-between, that we don't really know what's happening with the regulations. So they're like, make up your mind. I think we've exhausted the residents' patience. And so it sounds like they just want some more information. You know, when I first kind of started reading in about the story, I was like, oh, they've had two years But to your point, it's been two years of low traffic because we've been in a pandemic. So only now when more people are going out um, and things are kind of more back to normal, you can kind of get a baseline. And that seems what this study is really getting at. Right. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Is there they haven't had enough traffic, hadn't had enough focus. And also it was wrapped up in that state of emergency. So I think now it's like, okay, now let's study it and see what people are doing, especially over the summer. And they did talk about the timing of it. Mm -hmm. Now um, they've got the whole summer and part of the fall to look at how people are gravitating and, and using those outdoor spaces. I think we saw so many things change during the pandemic, and so many of those things were allowed to happen because of these state of emergencies. And now that they're yeah. all fading, we're seeing maybe people picking what they kind of liked <laughs> in those state of emergencies. Yeah, what they want to be the new normal. Right, and bring that in to the fold. Absolutely. Valerie Bonk, breaking it down for us. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. We now turn to someone who actually does this sort of work, urban planning, which is where you plan how cities are really oriented and built for the people who live in them. Joining us now is Gabriella Connemar-Clark with Land Design in Alexandria, um, an urban designer. And Gabriella, we've really gotten used to these streeteries. A lot of them have been around for almost two years now, and they've become part of our new normal. So do you think that streeteries are changing the way we live and are going to be incorporated in the future when it comes to urban design? Thank you, Megan. And I think that's a great question because this uh, situation we're in, it's a, it's has become a time for experimentation in a way where jurisdictions and even private owners of public space 
have hesitated sometimes to create, you know, some, some of these out-of-the-box solutions for the general public. So what streeteries have done in this area, and I'm glad that, you know, by pure necessity, they started to uh, exist. But what I like about this is it's time for experimentation. Not everything got perfect at the beginning, but uh, people have started to adjust and improve upon those ideas. And what has proven, in my opinion, is that sometimes um, what was perceived as an obstacle, not so much anymore. The public has started to understand that perhaps the experience of the open space and those streeteries is more important than having to park right in front doors. Um, and, you know, again, the success of the retailers and the food and beverage industry just also depends on how patrons are utilizing the space and yeah. how they're right. Um, infrastructure, uh, Department of Transportation, you know, how people use those streets, how the people park and how far apart from all these places and how cars and, and, and pedestrians interact in the same sort of public space. And, you know, in city council meetings, we're seeing a lot of this discussion kind of get distilled down to people kind of versus uh, cars or transportation, you know, because there's, again, such limited space here. So as we think about this issue, is it that simple? Is it really just cars versus people or, you know, is it a little more complex than that? It's always more complex. <laughs> Part of it, I mean, it, that, it boils down to that, but it's more complex. So you start talking about emergency access. That's necessary and vital, right, for our citizens too. You know, the functionality of our businesses, the loading areas, uh, the thinking of how you service these businesses where perhaps has evolved over time. Um, furnishings and how people interact in the open space, you know, from a simple bench. Uh, is it movable or is it fixed mm. in position? And what is that? What are the pros and cons of both of each option? I think this is the time where they start to, to test things. And sometimes the outcomes are pretty positive uh, and unexpected. You know, I think during the pandemic, we learned how space affects even you know an intimate thing as like our mental health. So as a designer, you know, can you maybe kind of explain that to us, how the space we interact in and live in does affect, you know, who we are and what our community is in some part. You know, I, uh, I've always observed open space and how people move about spaces and what attracts us to go to certain places. And we are gregarious. That's the nature of that. That's our nature. People want to be with people. And I think when we design spaces, we, we create spaces that are conducive for that. But also at the same time, there's a flexibility. Sometimes we want to be with people, but not on top of each other. There's not, it's not a festival. It's right. just enjoying a quiet space in a park and everybody has a nice quiet corner and it's fine. And then on Sunday afternoons or Friday or Saturday mornings, there's farmer's market and you want to be with everybody else. So I think that is the beauty of the spaces that we design these days that we tend to, and we've been asked to provide as much flexibility as we possibly can. And for the mental well-being, social is one, but the other one is the elements of nature in open space, fresh air, um, that element, elements of biophilia. Uh, this is something that has been mentioned many more times in the last few weeks and several projects that we've worked on here in the DC Metro, where biophilia is a term that is loosely defined as our relationship to nature. And people that live in the in the cities were a, a little more removed from real nature. Mm -hmm. How do we bring back, you know, that notion of greenery and respite and songbirds and everything that comes with having trees and canopy and shade and all these comfortable, fabulous green spaces? How do we incorporate some of those things or those ingredients into the public spaces? Mm. 
This is fascinating. <laughs> oh, it can go on forever. I, this mean, is a, I wish we could. Our field is vast and wide, and we have a, it's a tremendous opportunity here at this time and place in just in general from where we are and where we come from after COVID. You know, can we really use this time to reevaluate our priorities and reevaluate the way we solve for people of all backgrounds and all ages to come out and enjoy spaces together? Gabriella Connemar Clark with Land Design. So interesting to hear how COVID, we all know how COVID has changed our lives, but how it could permanently make a mark on how our cities and, and spaces that we enjoy are designed. We appreciate your time. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And before we go, Luke, there is a very cool announcement today in D.C. coming Juneteenth of this year. Have you heard about it? I hear it involves music. It involves music, yes. It's called the Something in the Water Festival, and Pharrell and his Pharrell friends are putting on <laughs> this giant music festival. It's uh, June 17th through 19th on the mall. Um, tickets go on sale wow. on Saturday. But there's like some really big names. Um, Calvin Harris, Chloe and Hallie, Dave Matthews Band, John Baptiste, Little Baby, Usher, the Backyard Band, wow. which is a, like a local band, which I love. Rare Essence. A lot of other bands that I've never heard of because I'm now an old person. Well, that makes it fun. That makes it fun. <laughs> I'll be able to be exposed to new music that everyone else knows. Um, but this is the this is the rub. Let's it's, hear it. It's expensive. What are we talking? Okay. Well, maybe it's not expensive for... I think it's expensive. Okay. So for three-day general admission, it's 300 bucks. They're obviously limited. Not everybody can go to this thing. But apparently it tiers all the way up to 550 bucks. Oh, VIP tickets. Oh, yeah. I mean, do you have 550 bucks to go? It, I think maybe, too, it's because D.C. is free, right? The right. Smithsonian's free. Like, we have all of these, like, things that you can go to that are awesome experiences that are free. So the idea that something's on the mall that costs 550 bucks, I'm like, mm. Kind of a paradox. Yeah, not kind of a contradiction. It sounds like it. But it sounds like the limes can be really fun. I mean, that's kind of the going rate for for music festivals. But um, see, this is Luke Garrett. You've heard you heard it here first. <laughs> the younger guy knows, and I have no idea. I think I just have to make a friend in Capitol Hill who has a good balcony. Oh yeah. That I could <laughs> that I could go. That's oh, not a bad plan. And also, I've been fighting off this cough. Like I think it's allergies. I don't know what it is, but um, I'm hoping you don't get it. But do you hear it, in my voice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of a smoky, deep voice now. <laughs> I think you might be catching something because your I voice, might be too. Yeah, your voice yeah. is you deeper too. A little, little frog in my throat, that's all. All right, we'll just put, pump some allergy medicine. That'll do it for us today on the DMV Download. Thanks for joining us. We are sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. This show is produced by me, Luke Garrett. And me, Megan Cloherty. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab. And our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance. You can find out more about the show and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com, and on the WTOP News app. Have a great night.